Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. I just love being in church with you. I love it. I love it. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John. You know, we just finished this series on the tabernacle. Was the tabernacle helpful? Uh, man, I love it. We got so much great feedback and response. And for those of you that were able to be with us Wednesday night when we, we finished that study and just had a powerful time in God's presence, I really felt like that was a necessary investment moving us forward, understanding his presence and our pursuit of him. Today, we want to kick off a brand new series called Glimpses of Light, Glimpses of light. You know, in a world that's growing increasingly dark, I think people are desperate for hope. Can I have a good amen? And what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks leading up to Easter is studying some of the narratives in the gospel surrounding the resurrection and the crucifixion of Jesus. We're going to take a look at how Jesus would penetrate darkness and he would shine glimpses of light and hope. You know, here's what's interesting. Darkness is not an affirmative force. It simply reoccupies the space that's been vacated by the light. Oh, come on now. That was, that was deep. Some of you are still chewing on that one. Let me say that one again. Turn your neighbor and say deep thought. Okay, listen. Darkness is not an affirmative force. It simply reoccupies the space that has been vacated by the light. In other words, in the absence of light, there's darkness. But in the presence of light, darkness has to flee. Come on, somebody. Here's what I love. Have you ever been asleep in a dark room? How many of you, when you go to bed, you need it to be pitch dark? And you're even checking the curtains because if there's any kind of crease, come on now. How many, that just irritates you. Yeah, it's waking you up. If if that light comes streaming in and disrupts your sleep, you're going to be a little bit upset. Yeah, but what's amazing is if the curtain is left open, darkness doesn't spill out of the room. Light comes racing into it. It tells me that light is always greater than darkness. It tell, listen to this. Light makes no noise. It's simply busy pushing back darkness. And so what we're going to do, what we're going to study in the Gospel of John and in these narratives surrounding the crucifixion and resurrection, we're going to see light and hope come spilling out. And I think it's going to encourage you. God wants you to be light in darkness, whether it's at your workplace, whether it's at your school, in your neighborhood, in your circle of influence. We are ambassadors of the light. Can I have a good amen? So I thought maybe the best way to introduce the topic for today is to start with a little game, okay? We're going to play a game. I need your participation. This game is, I call it, how well do you know your pastor, okay? How well do you know your pastor? This is going to introduce our our topic today. Uh, I'm going to give you a list of some of my favorites, and I want you to guess what they are, okay? We'll start easy, and then we'll become increasingly difficult, all right? The first is this. What do you think my favorite day of the week is? 
Oh, yes. Come on, Sunday fun day. Can I have a good amen? I cannot wait to get to church. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to worship together. Sunday is the, the highlight of my week. I, I love it, love it, love it. In fact, when we were singing that song earlier today, I was wanting to dance and run all over this house. How many of you brought your dancing shoes today? Okay, some of you better start stepping, man. Come on, we celebrating. Sunday, my favorite day of the week. W- what's my favorite church? If you get this one wrong, you need some counseling, okay? (laughs) Obviously, Healing Place is my favorite church, my all-time favorite church. I think this is the best church on the planet. I think we got the best people on the planet. I think we got the best pastors on the planet. You know, it's sad, but sometimes I talk to pastors, and it's like they're miserable at the churches that they're leading. How many of you know, if you don't love the church you're leading, do yourself and everybody else a favor. Come on, somebody. I love Healing Place Church. I think it's the best. My favorite book. What's my all-time favorite book? Yes, I love the word. Oh, I love it. I just (sighs) read it, study it, digest it, let it nourish and bring strength. I read it every day. I love the book. I love this Bible. Favorite day is Sunday. Favorite church, HPC. Favorite book is the Bible. What's my favorite food? Okay, okay, that was kind of a trick question. I I can't go on Sunday. It's closed on Sunday. Not my favorite fast food. What's my favorite food, like kind of food to eat? Steak, yes. If you said steak, come on, give yourself a point. Beef, it's what's for dinner. My favorite hobby. What's my favorite hobby? What is it? Preaching is not a hobby. Come on, somebody. It's a calling. What? What is it? Come on, my trainer's sitting right over here. I love to work out. I love to exercise. I know I don't always look like it, but my favorite hobby is working out. My favorite athlete. Who's my favorite athlete? If you said Jordan, you're right. He's the the greatest of all time. Nobody. I know some of you LeBron fans are out there, but y'all need to get saved. Um, all All right, my favorite professional baseball team, Major League Baseball team. What was that? It's the St. Louis Cardinals because I'm from the Midwest. I'm a Cardinal fan. I know some of you. I saw you do that, y'all. I saw that. Y'all must be Yankee fans or something. I don't know. Love the Cardinals. That's my team. My favorite NFL football team. My favorite professional football team. It's the Saints. Okay, but I have a confession, all right? There is a very close second. A close second. I can't believe I'm admitting this in church. But I love the Dallas Cowboys. The boy, somebody's getting ready. Please don't leave church, sir. Please don't leave church. I said they're second, okay? If they play the Saints, we know that God's favorite team is the Saints, right? But look, my my grandparents lived next door to Tom Landry's parents. So I'm talking about the old school 70s and 80s, Tony Dorsett, Randy White, Everson Walls, Butch Jones. Come on, anybody? Uh, I'm in a very small, small group. (laughs) Okay, a favorite employee at the church. Who's my all-time favorite staffer? It's Rachel DeLynn, ladies and gentlemen. Love that girl. David, I'm sorry, but she's my favorite, man. 
<laughs> so David get a little discouraged over there. That's all right. Okay, let, let, me, let me get to the scripture. Who's my favorite disciple? Who's my favorite disciple? Okay, this is the intro. This is, the, this is going to lead us into John chapter 20. My favorite disciple is Thomas. In fact, the title of the message today is simply this. Thank God for Thomas. Thank God for, I love this guy. Now listen, he's a good guy that gets a bad rap. Come on now. Okay, here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. We're rolling now. I love Thomas and here's why. He's not a bad dude, but I think we give him a hard time. How do we identify Thomas? What's the one thing we attach to his character and to his name? He's known as Doubting Thomas. What a bummer to be a disciple and the only thing people remember about you is your doubt. Come on, somebody. Can I tell you this? Aren't you glad that God doesn't label you by your worst moment? Mm. This is why I love Thomas. He's my fave. You know, he has a bad moment, but he's not a bad guy. What if, you see, the world wants to label you by your worst moments, but God wants to love you in your worst moments. What if we identified you by your worst moment? I mean, what, what, I mean, uh, Pastor Paul, let's say, what if he was like arrogant and we call him like prideful Paul? (laughs) Here's prideful Paul or, you know, David, Pastor David, so difficult. We call him difficult Dave. Just so difficult. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for difficult Dave. Or Jeff, you know, what do you call it? Jealous Jeff. Hey, he's our missions pastor. Jealous Jeff, ladies and gentlemen. But yet we refer to Thomas as doubting Thomas. You see, I think it's human nature to remember the worst about an individual. But it's the nature of God to meet us in our worst and give us heaven's best. You know, you you think about this. I imagine sometimes getting to heaven and meeting some of the people we read about in Scripture. I imagine Jesus taking us through the halls of heaven and saying, hey, look, here's Peter and Andrew. And we're like, oh, you guys were fishermen. And, man, then you dropped your nets and you followed Jesus. I mean, you were amazing disciples. And then Jesus says, hey, here's James and John. And you're like, James and John, the sons of thunder. You were powerful. And then he says, and here's Thomas. And you're like, oh what are you doing here (laughs) I doubted that you'd even make it here how many of you know that heaven holds out hope for people more than we do you see Thomas's resume he was a fisherman in charge of the family business but he meets Jesus he leaves check this out he left his family he left his friends he left his home he left his career and he hung all of his hope on Jesus And he's a part of the miracles and the teachings that he's following Jesus even when it's not popular. Uh, John chapter 6, when Jesus began to say some difficult things like eat my flesh and drink my blood, a lot of followers left, but Thomas stayed. He was faithful to the end, and yet they killed Jesus. They, They nailed him to a cross. And in that moment, Thomas's heart sank and all of his hopes died when Jesus died. Think about the emotions of that. And then rumor has it, word is out, wait a second, Jesus is alive. Jesus had made an appearance to some of the disciples and Thomas wasn't there. Read with me in John 20, verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, one of the 12, Thomas, nicknamed 
the twin. Everybody say the twin. We'll get back to that in just a moment. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus appeared. This is This is post-resurrection. Now, Jesus had been crucified. Three days later, he was raised from the dead, and he began to show up in different settings. He had appeared to the disciples, and Thomas wasn't with them. Verse 25, the Bible says, but the disciples told Thomas, hey, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it until I see I want you to underline that in your Bible. Circle that in your Bible. I won't believe until I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. All of his friends were excited because they had seen Jesus, yet Thomas was doubting because he had no visible appearance. I want you to know this. Number one, we all have bouts with doubt. We all have bouts with doubt. I want to talk to you about the doubt that sometimes we experience along the way. Now, it's interesting to note the Bible says that Thomas had a nickname. What was his nickname? The twin, okay? But scholars tell us that there was no identifiable sibling. There's no record or history of Thomas having brothers or sisters, much less a twin. When I read this again this week, I thought about my mom, who's an identical twin. Her name is Mary, and her twin sister's name is Martha, Mary and Martha. And they identical twins. In fact, my grandparents, when, when the twins were born, they couldn't tell them apart, so they painted the toenail of one of them just to distinguish between the two. It's unreal. Before you had caller ID, I didn't know if I was talking to my mom or my aunt because their voice sounds exactly alike. Thomas is referred to as a twin. And I wonder why. If he had no siblings, why did they give him the nickname of twin? Maybe it's referring to his tendency to waver between two opinions. Come on. I'm going to tell you this. We all have a twin. Looks like you, thinks like you, walks like you, dresses like you, but it's not you. We all have a twin named Doubt. I've got a twin, wears my clothes, drives my car, he sleeps in my bed, answers my phone. He knows all my passwords. You see, there's the me that I long to be, and then the me I struggle to avoid. Come on, am I talking to anybody in here? Now, see, listen, I know that this is not a popular topic to talk about in church, but the truth is, if the best of the best struggle with doubt, then so do you and I. Today, I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to your twin. I'm preaching to that one that causes you to question everything you know in your heart to be true. I'm preaching to the one that struggles in weakness. And sometimes as you're reading the scripture, you're thinking, man, it sounds good for others, but I have a hard time applying it to my own life. Can I talk to us where we live today? You know, and sometimes it's unpopular on Sundays and in church to recognize our twin. We try to hide our twin in shame, but I want to speak to that twin because I believe God has a word for the side of you that struggles. You know, doubt, all of us have bouts with doubt. Everything in this world is designed to chip away at your faith. There are things in this world designed to steal your faith. You know how the enemy will try to chip away at your faith? He uses disappointment. 
Anybody ever been disappointed before? Disappointed in someone or something? Maybe you, you prayed earnestly for a loved one to be healed. You stood upon the scriptures. You anointed them with oil. I mean, you talked to your pastors in your small group. You did everything you knew to do, and yet God chose to bring them home. Maybe you're believing for your marriage to be restored, holding out hope for your spouse. They had no interest, but yet you were claiming the promises of God, and you prayed, Holy Spirit, change their heart, change their mind, but it ended in divorce. Come on, can I tell you, this is where we live. We deal with disappointment. Maybe you grew up in an abusive situation. Maybe you were abused as a child physically, emotionally, even sexually, and you wondered, God, where were you? It's hard for you to reconcile the goodness of God when he seems to be so absent in your life. Thomas was grieving the loss of his leader, his mentor. All of his hopes and his future were tied up in Jesus, and now Jesus was gone. Was he really alive? Could he really be resurrected? You see, disappointment will chip away at your faith. You know what else does? Pain. Pain. You walk through pain of a broken relationship. Some of you have walked through church hurt. You want to trust God and you want to believe God, but things have, have just imploded in your spiritual life because uh, you were hurt by a small group leader, hurt by a trusted friend. Maybe a pastor disappointed you. You know, I had three consecutive events happen in my life when I was 18 years old. My senior year in high school, the church that I was a part of, our pastor had a moral failure. And our church just imploded. And I began to question everything about my faith. Maybe my faith was more in a pastor than it was in God. But you know what? At 18 years of age, I had a hurt based on church. Not long after that, my parents divorced. I mean, after 20, 23 years of marriage, they called it quits. So now I was suffering not only in my faith, but in my family. How many of you know that's the bedrock of your life, your family and your faith? I questioned everything my parents had taught me. Uh, there was this general distrust. I didn't trust pastors because of the church hurt. I didn't trust what my parents had taught me be because of, of how their marriage ended up. And I go off to college at 18 years of age, and now I'm in a, a classroom with this professor, and he's so smart, and he shot holes in everything that I had learned in Sunday school. I mean, it was like unwinding for 18 years, everything I had built my life upon. My family, my faith, and my future was all in question. How many of you know pain will cause you to doubt? Disappointment, pain, unanswered questions. Unanswered questions. Three million children will die this year because of malnutrition. With all the food in the world, God, why would you let that happen? Or you've heard stories of a drunk driving accident and a mother and daughter are killed and the drunk driver walks away without a scratch on his body. And you think, God, why? Or you hear stories of couples that struggle with infertility and yet you get so angry at abortion on demand and you're thinking, God, how does this happen? How many of you know sometimes we have more questions than answers? And this is the reality of the world in which we live. Oh, but pastor, we don't talk about this in church. We got to talk about it in church. You see, your twin is talking to you Monday through Saturday. Come on, somebody. Oh, Lord, help us. And then there's this thing, delay. Delay. 
we get weary in the waiting. I've been praying and I see no results. I've been standing on the promises and nothing has changed. God, how long? And little by little, our faith begins to erode. And sometimes we don't even want to talk about it because we're embarrassed or ashamed. We all have bouts with doubt. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I see the nail prints in his hands and touch him. Look at what it says here in verse 26. Eight days later. Now, this is big. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. Now, look, this is just a half a verse. But there's so much packed in this half. I want to read it again. Eight days later, notice what's happening. The disciples are gathered. And this time, Thomas is with them. If everybody has a bout with doubt, number two, don't disconnect in your doubt. Notice where Thomas is. He's with them. He's with them this time. Uh, Let me just challenge you. Let me encourage you. If you're struggling with doubt and unbelief, stay in an environment of faith as you work through your doubts. You see, the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself and unplug. Doubt has a way of forcing people underground. Doubt has a way of bringing shame. We know we're supposed to be people of faith. We struggle to believe. It seems like it's easy for everybody else to believe. And then we struggle to even attend church. Because, you know, that's just a happy, clappy, sing-song, sappy place. And I'm not there right now. And so I distance myself. Let me tell you something about this house, okay? Can I pastor us just for a moment? Healing Place Church is a place and a space for saints, for sinners, and for skeptics. If you're at a place where you're skeptical, you're disappointed, maybe you're confused, maybe you're angry, this is not just a place to celebrate, but there's room in this house and among this family for the season that you're in. Can I have a better amen? Sometimes people say, well, I can't go to church because all the faith people are there. Can I tell you, that's like somebody who's out of shape saying, I ain't going to the gym because all the fit people are there. (laughs) Listen, if you're out of shape, the gym is where you need to be. Can I have a better amen? I can't go to the gym. All the perfect bodies are there. How do you think they get those bodies? You got to be in the right environment. Come on, somebody. Or that's like somebody saying, you know what? I just, I'm not smart enough to go to school. I don't have what it takes to go to school. All the educated people are there. Where do you think you get knowledge from? Hey, school is where you need to be. The gym is where you need to be. People say, I'm not going to church. All the faith people are there. I have too many doubts. No, 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 no. Church is where you need to be. Thomas did not unplug from his friendships. He didn't disconnect. In fact, I think as a, as a body of believers and as a spiritual family, we would do well to give people margin to struggle and work through their doubts. In fact, Paul, come up here real quickly. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Come on. Come on, show your love for Pastor Paul. Come on, man. 
Paul, for this analogy, you're going to be Jesus, okay? I know I ragged on you for your, your singing vocal earlier, but man, you, I'm redeeming myself. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus in denim. <laughs> Y'all didn't know Jesus wore skinnies. Come on, man. Skinnies. Yeah, I'm just See, look, I want you to see, sometimes we judge people and we get critical of people based on proximity. All of us have seasons in our life where things are going good and we're close to Jesus. Man, we just feel the favor of God. Man, God's blessing our business. Man, we're blessed financially. Our children are acting right. We've got health and strength in our bodies. And it's easy for us to believe and to sing and to trust in those good times. But how many know not every season is like that? Sometimes you're going to go through a season where you struggle and Jesus seems farther away. I don't feel it like I did last month or last year. Uh, sometimes you go through a difficulty in your family, in your body, in your finances, in a relationship. You're going through a season of loneliness and you know he's there, but he feels farther away. Come on, are you with me? We have to give people space and grace to navigate this distance. You know what? To be a hospital for the hurting, healing place church, it means that there's room for you in your brokenness in this house. Nobody's going to condemn you and expect you to be brother Bible man or sister super Christian. Come on, somebody. Well, I just, you know, Pastor Mike, he's just the pastor. He's the, the colossal apostle, the man of the hour, God's tower of power. You know, sometimes people think that the pastor doesn't have doubts. They think that I wake up in the morning and the Holy Spirit gets me dressed. Thank you, Lord, you made my coffee, extra cream and sugar. I don't bounce around from one glory cloud to the next. I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like you. And there are some days during the pandemic that I'm struggling. Some days during all the unrest in our community that I struggle. There are some days during the political pressure and all the confusion. Lord, where are you? Come on, somebody. But you know, we don't judge people based on proximity. And Thomas made a decision, even though I'm struggling in my faith, I'm still going to hang out with my brothers. You see, I think the, that's why small groups are so important. You know, think about this story from the, the, the disciples' point of view. Uh, eight days later, the Bible says, Thomas was hanging out with him. They could have given Thomas a hard time and been like, Tom, what are you doing here? You don't believe what we tell you. You don't believe Jesus is alive. You just get on down the road until you find enough faith to reach our level. Aren't you glad that they didn't do that? Aren't you glad that the disciples made room and said, hey, Thomas, let's hang out. Let, 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 let's stick together. Uh, listen to me, church. Give your faith a chance. If you're struggling with doubt, Give your faith a chance to grow. Put yourself in environments where you can be encouraged. Can I have a good amen? Come on, show your love for Pastor Paul. Love you, man. Thank you. We need to be in environments of faith. You need to be in a place where you're singing faith-filled songs, where you're hearing a faith-filled message, where you're encouraged by faith-filled friends, even when you have doubts. I just want to help somebody today. Hang in there. Just hang in there. Don't cave because you have doubt. Turn to your neighbor and say, hang in there. Come on, touch three people and say, hang in there. I'm going to tell you like my grandfather used to say, hang in there like a hair in a biscuit. Come on, somebody. 
that's gross, isn't it? <laughs> hey, but the, the analogy connects, doesn't it? You, oh, you just can't. Yes, hang in there. Stay in there. Don't unplug. Don't disconnect. Can I have a better amen? Proverbs says in Proverbs 24, 16, this is such a great verse. The godly may trip seven times. Come on, somebody say seven times. But they get up again. The godly, a righteous man may fall seven times. How many days are there in a week? You may fall every day of the week. But the righteous don't stay down. You may fall down, but you don't stay down. You rise up again. Listen, seeds of doubt will never take root in a heart that's filled with the soil of God's word. Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You know what's happening to you right now? Your circumstances aren't changing but your faith is growing. When you sit under biblical teaching, when you worship even though you don't feel like it, when you see nothing changing, nothing happening, you position yourself in environments like this, doesn't change your circumstances, but it changes you. Number one, we all have bouts with doubt. Number two, don't disconnect in your doubt. Now let me finish this. Look at what it says, the last half of verse 26. Thomas hanging out with the others, the doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he turns to Thomas. He says, hey, Tom, put your fingers right here. Look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Come on, somebody say believe. You see, you need to know the God who loves you is so for you, and he wants you to believe. Let me give you this last thought, and I think this is probably the most encouraging. Number three, Jesus will do an encore just for you. Isn't that awesome? Just for you, an encore. What does that mean? The word encore is a French word. When somebody yells encore, what are they asking for? Do it again. Just one more time. You know, you're at a concert and uh, the program is finished and the last number has been performed. And the crowd claps and applause and they say, encore. Hey, just one more. One more. And you know what? Jesus showed up to all of the disciples except one was missing. I want to tell you this, Jesus doesn't want one to miss. He'll come back for the one. The, the, the other disciples had already seen Jesus. They didn't need to be convinced. They already knew. But Jesus did it again for one. That's what I love about our Jesus. He has compassion for the multitudes, but he's moved with compassion for one. Thomas, I did it just for you. Why would Jesus say, hey, Thomas, look, touch the nail prints in my hands? Well, Jesus led with that. That was the conversation. He says, hey, come on, Thomas. You, you need to take your hand, thrust it through my side. Why? Because Jesus heard every word of Thomas's struggle. Jesus knows your struggle. 
Thomas couldn't see Jesus, but Jesus never took his eyes off of Thomas. Some of you feel like you can't see Jesus right now. I'm struggling to believe. Listen, you may be struggling to see him, but God sees you. Encore. Jesus didn't say, Thomas, come on, man. For reals? I mean, if it would have been me, I thank God I'm not Jesus. I'm trying to be like him, but I got a lot of work to do. If I'm showing up, I'm like, Tom, dude, for real? Look, you, you, resurrection, we talked about this. I told you how I was going to die. I told you I was going to be raised. To, remember Lazarus when I raised him from the dead? Come on, Thomas, you've seen this three times. I raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember Jairus' daughter? Man, I raised her from the dead. You were with me. Remember that funeral that I interrupted, that little boy that died and the mama that was so upset? I brought him back. I've done this again and again. Come on, Tom. Aren't you glad Jesus has gentle grace? Eight days later. You know what eight is? Eight is the number of new beginnings. Seven is the number of completion. Eight is the number of new beginnings. My daughter sent me a text the other day. She said, Dad, new things are coming because old things are dying. She told me that. I thought, Lord, this girl got some revelation. Say it again. She said, Dad, I just feel that new things are coming for me because old things are dying. My prayer for you is this. That doubt that you've been wrestling with is going to start to die. Why? Because there's a new thing God's wanting to do in you. Come on, somebody say a new thing. God's got, there's a new season he wants you to step in. He doesn't criticize or condemn you as you struggle to believe. But he says, hey, my hands, my side, don't doubt any longer. Believe. Jesus knew that Thomas would doubt. But he chose Thomas anyway. He says, Thomas, I want you on my team. Guess what's going to happen in the future? Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Bible talks about the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles judging the 12 tribes. Guess who's going to be one of those apostles? <laughs> oh, doubting Tom. Let's thank God for Thomas. I'm so, he's my favorite disciple because if the Lord could use Thomas in spite of his doubt, then maybe he can use me and you too. Amen. You receive that today. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.